You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Psalm 20. Okay, just to reorient you, um, we are working our way through the Psalms until tonight. We've been taking one Psalm per week, but tonight we'll take two. Now, again, I'll explain that in just a moment, Psalm uh, 20 and uh, 21. But if you had to give a one-sentence summary of what the Psalms are about, I think I think Dr. Easley gives us a, a good thought here. He says, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so the Psalms are a reminder as you read through them that God is, he, he's the God of the mountaintop and he's the God of the valleys too, right? And whether you're on the mountaintop or the valley, God is worthy of your trust. And whether you're on the mountaintop or the valley, God is worthy of your praise. And so we're reminded of that as we work our way through the Psalms. John Piper uh, picks up on, again, the idea that these are a collection of hymns. The Psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And so these were hymns. I mean, the, the ancient Hebrews, this was their hymn book, the book of Psalms. And so the music leader would get up and say, hey, today we're going to sing Psalm 23. And they'd start singing, the Lord is my shepherd, and, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, but God gives us music as a gift. And one of the reasons music is so, is so profound is because it, it connects with us at an emotional level. And these psalms connect with us at an emotional level. And God made us emotional, right? And, and so we need to know how to, how to process our emotions and work through our emotions and understand our emotions and ultimately bring our emotions before the Lord in worship and praise. So uh, tonight we're going to look at Psalm 20 and 21 and we're going to look at them together because they go together. I'm going to show you that in a moment. They go together. The genre of the, these psalms, uh, you would probably label them as royal song psalms. They're written by the king, King David, uh, in direct reference to his, uh, his reign as the king. And so you see that throughout the psalms. These are one of the royal uh, psalms. And the, the, the major takeaway from these psalms is the idea that when we are faced by uh, adversity, when we're faced uh, faced with trials or tribulations or hardship, we can trust in his name. So we're, we're going to talk about what that looks like. And as we think about that, there are four ways to understand these psalms. But before I get into those, I want to just read uh, the first part of Psalm uh, 20. And the first part of Psalm 21, then we'll go back and talk about uh, how we're to think through these psalms. So look there in Psalm 20, verse 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David. And hey, just kind of—I've said this before, but just kind of a quick reminder: the small print words there, to the choir master, a psalm of David. Those aren't put in by the editors who um, 
formatted your Bibles. That's inspired text. This is in the original Hebrew writings. So that phrase to the choir master psalm of day, that is inspired text. In fact, some of the ancient Hebrew documents have that as verse 1, not verse 1 is verse 1. They actually label that first uh, little segment as, uh, as a verse. So to the choir master, a psalm of David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Notice that focus on the name, the name of the God of Jacob. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Say law. Now, fast forward down to chapter 21. To the choir master, a psalm of David. So there's some similarity there. Not similarity, directly, uh, direct, uh, the same phrasing is used directly. Verse 1, O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire, have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that as we dig into Psalm 20 and Psalm 21, that you would uh, speak to us. Lord, capture our hearts with the truth of your word and open the eyes of our hearts. We may see that truth clearly and respond to that truth Um Lord, with with hearts surrendered to you. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, there are four ways to understand these psalms, four ways to kind of process what's, what's happening here. The first is this. These psalms, as you've already guessed, Psalm 20 and 21, are companions. They go together. Uh, scholars look at these and look at their placement in the Psalter, look at the... Um, the content of these psalms, and it's very apparent these two psalms uh, go together. They're to be understood really as one unit of thought. So let me just show you this. First of all, look at Psalm 20, verse 9. Look how the, the psalm ends. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Now look in verse 1 of uh, Psalm 21. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. In your salvation, how greatly he exalts. So Psalm 20 is, Lord, save the king. Psalm 21 is, thanks for saving me. That's that's what's happening here. Uh, uh, Let me show you another uh, couple of verses. Look in chapter 20, verse 4. May he grant you, these are the people talking to the king. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Now look in Psalm 21, verse 2. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. So Psalm 20, would you bless the king with his heart's desire? Psalm 21, thank you for blessing the king with his heart's desire. You see the connection there? They, they're directly related. And then one more. Look in chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots is a really well-known verse, great verse. Some trust in horses. But we trust in the, there it is again, name of the Lord our God. Now look in chapter 21, verse 7. For the king trusts in the Lord, not in chariots, not in horses. The king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So Psalm 20 is a psalm of petition. You might say a psalm of desperate petition. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Psalm 21 is a psalm of thanksgiving, because God has answered the petition. That makes sense? 
Okay, so they go together. So think of these psalms as companions. Secondly, second way to understand these psalms, these psalms are historical. They're speaking of something that happened in history. Look what it says there in verse 1 of Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So we see that phrase there, the day of trouble. So but what's being referred to here is some kind of trouble that, that David as the king faced. And then based upon Psalm 21, we know that God delivered him from the trouble. Now this could refer to, to many different episodes of David's reign as king because David had a lot of battles, right? A lot of fights. A lot of, a lot of people were opposed to David. And David got into some really tight, spots sometimes and needed God's help. So we don't know exactly which episode this is referring to, um, but we do know that these Psalms address a specific historical situation where God's people sought deliverance for their king and their nation and God granted their deliverance. So it's talking about something that happened uh, along those lines. Let me propose maybe one such instance that can serve maybe as an example of how God answered the king's petition when confronting hardship. Uh, turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 14. 1 Chronicles chapter 14. And look in verse 8. 1 Chronicles 14 verse 8. We get a little bit of a, a time stamp here in verse 8 when it says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel. So this is the time period when, when God uh, raises David up. He puts down Saul as king, raises David up. And after a period of, of battle with Saul's household, David becomes king of Judah and Israel, the entire nation of Israel. And it says, when this happened, the Philistines, age-old enemies of David, going all the way back to David killing their champion, whose name was Goliath. The Philistines, oh, David's the king now. David's ascended to the throne. David's the number one guy. David's in charge. We don't like that. And it says, they went to search for David. We'll show him. We'll show King David uh, who the boss is around here. And so the Philistines are searching for David. Look what happens. David heard of it. I like this, man's man. And he went out against them. He said, you don't have to look for me very long. I'll come looking for you. And so here we have this, this showdown between David, the new king, and his army, and the Philistines, who were bitter enemies of David and the Jews. And look what happens in verse 9. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of God, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, Go up, I will give them into your hand. And he went up to Baal-perazim, and David struck them down there. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a bursting flood. Therefore the name of that place is called uh, Baal-perazim. And they left their gods there, and David gave command, and they were burned. That phrase, Baal-perazim, uh, uh, means uh, the God of breaking through, uh, that, the, the idea that God uh, broke through against the enemies. And it says, they left their gods there. David gave command. They were burned. Verse 13, 
And the Philistines yet again made a raid in the valley. And when David again inquired of God, God said to him, you shall not go up after them. Go around and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as God commanded him. They struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. And the fame of David went out into all lands. The Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Now, Psalm 20 and 21 talking about this historical example. We don't know for sure, but this, this story is a good representation of what Psalm 20 and 21 are about. God's people face an enemy. David is the king. David is the leader. And God gives him a great victory. And isn't it interesting in this story that the victory didn't come through chariots and horses. God sent his, his army, his angelic army, to overthrow the Philistines and give them a victory. So David knew, you know what, this wasn't my, this wasn't my uh, ingenuity, this wasn't my leadership, uh, this wasn't the number of resources or troops that we had. God gave us the victory. We needed it, the Philistines were opposed to us, and God gave us the victory. And so these... These psalms, Psalm 20 and 21, address a specific historical situation where God's people sought deliverance for their king, and God granted that deliverance. Maybe 1 Chronicles chapter 14. One writer said that uh, Psalm 20 and 21 are almost like, uh, almost like the national anthem for, for the Jews. Like this is, this is, these two uh, psalms are... Uh, are nationalistic to them. They, it, it fills them with great pride that God came to rescue their king and rescue their people. So these psalms are companions. These psalms are historical. Number three, these psalms are instructive. So we got some stuff to learn. What can we learn from these psalms? These psalms are instructive. We'll look in um, chapter 20. Verse 1, we're going to ask, answer this question from these psalms. Well, how do we face battles? David had enemies. David had battles to fight. He faced battles in a certain way, and God answered his, his petition. So how should we face battles? Number one, with fervent prayer. Chapter 20, verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. These are the people praying for King David. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. So the people are praying for the king. They're making petition. They're praying that God would give uh, victory. And then look in kind of summary form what the people say in verse 9. I love this. Oh, Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So they're asking God to save King David from harm, to save King David from his enemies. So how do you face battles? With fervent prayer. In, in fact, uh, it says there that, that battles ultimately aren't won by chariots and horses right? They're won by the Lord. And so we face battles on our knees with our hands lifted high. We face battles with fervent prayer. And have you noticed, if you've been involved in this study, have you noticed that theme throughout? 
and really through the book of Daniel as well. We've been studying Daniel. Have you noticed how prominent prayer is when you're facing adversity, when you're facing hardship, when you're facing enemies, when you're facing uh, things that are daunting? Have you noticed how key it is that we, in those moments, deal with those moments with prayer, with fervent prayer? And by the way, if I tell you you need to pray through tough times, you would all say amen. But the question is, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Are you a person of, of fervent prayer? Secondly, how do we face battles? With a realization that he's on our side. With a realization that he is on our side. Look what it says in 20 verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. I always, I'm always moved when I see God described as the God of Jacob. You know why? Jacob was, uh, he was a trickster, right? He was dishonest. He was a manipulator. He got away with some really wicked behavior. And and he was not a he was not a nice guy. Right? He would not have been uh, a a top church member at First Baptist. All right, you'd all be like, "Do we got to sit by Jacob again?" Like this guy, he's going to take my wallet, right? So, and 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 Jacob Jacob was, was was he had some issues, right? But then we see over in Genesis, Jacob had this time of wrestling with the Lord. I believe the Lord was, was doing a work in Jacob's life to wear down his defenses against the Lord. And, and at that moment, the Lord changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And I believe Jacob changed right after that because Jacob was transformed. He became a believer in the one true God. He, to use our, uh, our, our modern day terminology, he was saved at that moment. Jacob's life was changed. But isn't it interesting that God calls himself the God of Jacob? Every time I see that, I think, Grace, grace. If he could be the God of Jacob, he could be God of anyone that will turn to him, right? He's the God of Jacob, grace. And so he's on our side. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. He's on our side, not because we deserve it. He's on our side because of grace. And look what it says in verse five. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all of your uh, petitions. May, may, we, may we experience your salvation uh, over our lives. Verse 7, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. So as the people are praying for David, they're praying in a way that, in a way that says, God, we know we're your chosen people. We belong to you. And that gives us confidence as we pray because we believe you won't abandon your people, right? We, we belong to you. A realization that God is on our side. And it's interesting there in uh, verse 1. And it's interesting there in verse 5. And it's interesting in verse 7, they, they mention the name of the Lord. The, the, the word Lord there is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the divine name of God. So it's uh, 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 pronounced Yahweh. And they say, we trust in the name. If you look there in your notes, the mention of God's name was a reminder that they were God's chosen people. 
And the mention of God's name was a reminder that God would act on their behalf. Like what the scholar Leon Morse writes, the name meant much more to people of antiquity than it does to us. For us, it is a convenient label whereby we distinguish one person from another. That's Jeff. This is Wade. Names differentiate us, right? Not so in the ancient world. There, it stood for the whole personality. When the psalmist spoke of loving the name of God, Psalm 5 verse 11, or when he prayed, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you, Psalm 20 verse 1, he did not have in mind simply the uttering of the name. He was speaking of all that God means. In other words, the name in some way expressed the whole person. So when, when the psalmist here says, David says, we trust in the, the name. We trust in the name. saying We trust in all of who God is. We trust in the God of omnipresence. We trust in the God of omnipotence. We trust in the God of omniscience. We trust in the God of sovereignty. We trust in the God of mercy. We trust in the God of grace. We belong to him and we trust in his name. So how do we face battles with fervent prayer with realization that he's on our side? And let me just say this before I, I hasten on. How can you know that God is on your side? The Bible teaches it's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus that you can know that you belong to God, that you have a relationship with God because Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave. So if you embrace him by faith as your Lord and Savior, turning from your sin, he applies his substitutionary death to your sin and your sins are forgiven and washed away. Good news, right? and you are reconciled or justified uh, before God. You have a relationship with him now. You belong to him. And Ephesians 3 says, at that moment, you are sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption. You belong to him, and nothing will ever change that. And so when you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you belong to him. And now you can pray knowing that God is on your side. Now you can pray knowing you belong, you're a child of God. That ought to change the way that you pray. My kids may walk in the room and they might, they might stammer a bit or, or hesitate a bit to ask you for money. But I promise you they don't have that problem with me. They'll come directly to me and ask me for money, right? It happens a lot. Why? I'm their dad. They belong to me. They have that confidence. They have no issue recognizing, hey, I belong to dad, and he's the one I go to, right? That ought to change the way that we pray, a realization that he is on our side. Romans says in Christ, Romans 8, We've been, we've been uh, given the spirit of adoption whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father. Uh, Romans 5 says that when we are justified, we have peace with God, and we go from a place of enmity uh, against God to becoming friends of God. Isn't that awesome? So if in Jesus, he's your father, he's your friend, why would you hesitate in taking the issues of your life to him? No one cares for you like he does. And so we should pray with the realization that he is on our side. And then third, we should pray or face battles with confidence in God's power, not our own. That's the, the point of verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, 
but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We, we, we face battles with confidence in God's power, not our own. In other words, that's why we pray. We put it in God's hands. We ask God to work. We ask God to move. And we understand that if something good happens, if deliverance happens, if help happens, if, if, uh, if God comes to your, to your rescue, it'll be God, not your own resources. We have confidence in God's power, not our own. But how many times, everybody look at me for a moment. How many times... Do we face the challenges of life with nothing but our own resources? We just try to figure it out and soldier through it, right? We just try to deal with it and, and hope it ends quickly. But we face these monumental things in life, and we all face them with our own strength, and we don't have any strength. <laughs> the point is, don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in horses. Don't trust in money. Don't trust in your intelligence. Don't trust in your position. Trust in the Lord, and he will help you. And so these psalms are companions. These psalms are historical. These psalms are instructive. But fourth and last, these psalms are messianic. One of my favorite things about the psalms is they so clearly point us to Jesus. And by the way, Next week is one of the best examples of that, Psalm 22, which starts out with the phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which you might remember, Jesus took those words from Psalm 22 and declared them or spoke them or took them as his own on the cross. We're going to talk about how Psalm 22 points to Jesus next week. And then the next week is Psalm 23. So some good stuff. And so... This week, I want you to see that Psalms 20 and 21 point to Jesus. They're messianic. And we see this really in Psalm 21, which is the, the thank you for God answering the prayers of Psalm 20. Let me tell you why these Psalms are messianic. First of all, these Psalms are messianic because they speak of God's preservation of the lineage of David. These Psalms are messianic because they speak of, the, of God's preservation of the lineage of David. So look what it says in verse 4. He, David, again, David speaking on behalf of the people, he asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. So immediately we understand he's talking about something beyond just David's deliverance from a battle, right? God saved him from the Philistines or whoever the enemies were in this historical situation. But David died, right? He was rescued, but he died. And so how in the world could Psalm 21 say, he granted you length of days forever and ever? I mean, what in the world does that mean? Who is he talking about? I believe he's talking about the messianic promise given to David over in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 7, the Lord says, David, I'm going to give you descendants. And I'm going to give your descendants descendants. And I'm going to build your descendants into a great lineage of royalty. And you need to understand, David, that from your lineage, there will come a king one day who reigns forever. Who is he talking about? I'm talking about King Jesus, who came through the lineage of David, 
who came to this earth, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father, one day returned, set up his kingdom, usher in the new heavens and new earth, and reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, fulfilling the promise David made or God made to David. Now, I believe that's what he's referring to here in Psalm 21, verse 4. David, he saved you from a battle. Yeah, that's great. But he's up to something bigger. He's building a lineage of royalty which will culminate in the forever king God will send, and we know that his name is Jesus. These psalms are messianic because they speak of God's preservation of the lineage of David. Here's the deal. What if God didn't save David in this, in this example? What if David was, was killed by enemies and then his, as was often the case in ancient times, all of his household was killed too. All of his descendants were killed because when a new king came on the scene or a, a nation conquered a nation, they killed the king and all the descendants. What if that would have happened? God would have to say, well, you know, I made that promise to David, but oops, not going to work out, right? How many of you understand God always keeps his promises, right? And, and the reason he was building a lineage through whom he could send a Messiah is because of you and me. He was sending a savior king who would come to this earth and not only set up a rule and a reign, but to redeem a lost and falling humanity. So God, now watch this. God is preserving David ultimately for you. Isn't that something? So he can keep his promises to send someone who will save and who will reign. He's preserving David for you and for me. Secondly, these psalms are messianic because they seem to point to a greater king. Back to 21 verse 4, this one who will live forever and ever and ever. David was a great king, but he's just a shadow of the greatest king, King Jesus, who rules with grace and glory, who has triumphed and will continue to triumph and one day usher in the final victory. And so these psalms, these psalms speak of that great victory by the great king. In fact, look what it says in verse 8 of Psalm 21. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath. A fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. You will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. In other words, it would be a bad decision to fight against David. Why? God made a promise, I'm going to preserve you. And through your descendants, I'm going to send a great king. So you're not going to win. If you're going to fight against him, you're not going to win. God's going to preserve him. Just like God preserves the nation of Israel, you're not going to win. So these Psalms are messianic. They point to King Jesus. And so I hope you and I will walk away from looking at Psalm 20 and 21 emboldened by the fact that a prayer is made in Psalm 21, there's a rejoicing because God answered that prayer. We trust in the name. 
Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.